Well, I wonder how you'd answer the question, what makes life worth living? I wonder how you'd answer the question, what makes life worth living? Maybe you'd say something like, family, uh, make life worth living. You know, maybe it's the kids or the grandkids, watching them grow up, uh, being a part of that. Uh, maybe it's a particular relationship in your life, a friendship in your life. I wonder if you'd say something like, it's the work that I do. Um, that makes life worth living. I love what I'm able to contribute. Um, or maybe you'd talk about the future. Maybe you'd say, what makes life worth living now is something I can see just around the corner. Maybe there's something coming your way that you can see and you go, you know, it doesn't matter right now, but the future makes life worth living. I wonder how you'd answer the question, what makes your life worth living? I want to commend to you today that faith makes life worth living. I want to commend to you that truth from the Bible in this passage today, that faith makes life worth living. And as we think about that, let me pray to kick us off. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning as we learn about your call to Abram, your promises to him, open the eyes of our hearts that we might know what it means to trust you, to have faith, to know what it means for us today and the hope that it gives us for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, faith makes life worth living for three reasons. Firstly, because faith gives you somewhere to belong. Faith, faith makes you know where you belong. Secondly, faith gives you a future. Faith, no, faith makes you know where you're really going. And then thirdly, faith knows who's with you. Faith gives you an assurance of somebody with you. Faith makes life worth living because you know where you belong, you know where you're going, you know who's with you. Firstly, you know where you belong. I wonder if you can remember a time when you were lost. A time when you were really lost. Some of my earliest memories of being lost, I'm smiling because we're all here now, right? It's okay, we're here. Um, I remember going to the supermarket with mum. I must have been five or six years old, and this happened quite a few times. Um, but I'd go to Woolies with mum, we'd be shopping, and I think it was because I was a young boy, growing boy, and just all this food around me was just quite overwhelming. Didn't matter whether I was in the deli or where, whether I was in the Woolworths aisle. Um, there'd come a time where I'd look up, I'd look around me, and I'd realise mum was gone. Where's mum? I don't know whether you know that dread. Uh, because for a little boy it means, uh, am I going to get home? Am I going to have another meal? Am I going to live my life in this supermarket with all these people I don't know? This is the end. Like, it feels like that. But then I remember who, what mum looks like and I go looking for her and maybe I find her and I'm like, phew. Or maybe after a while I, I can't see her but then over the loudspeaker comes, uh, could a Matthew Straw come to register three, please? Your mum is looking for you. And, and everybody else is embarrassed for me, but I'm saved. I'm going home. I'm getting a meal. Mum might buy me some wheat bix I was sharing this experience of being lost with Johnny during the week. 
And he reminded me of a film, a Steven Spielberg film called Empire of the Sun. I don't know whether you've seen it. Um, but this young boy is in Japan, World War II. This young boy gets separated from his parents and ends up living in a concentration camp. He's very young at the time when he goes in. And after many years, on the eve of victory, as he's watching um, American bombers fly in and bomb the Japanese airport near the concentration camp, and he's excited about victory and freedom and going home, he has this shocking moment where he realises and he says, I don't remember what my parents look like. Now that's a new kind of lostness. That's another level of lostness, isn't it? To have forgotten the face of your parents. You can't remember, you can't imagine where home is, what home is, who your mum is, who your dad is. It's that kind of lostness that the world is in when we get to Abraham's story. The world has forgotten what its father looks like, its heavenly father. They can't even remember what his face looks like. Genesis 1 to 11, what we've been looking at, we looked at 1 to 5 last year, we've looked at 5 to now 12 this year. Genesis 1 to 11 has just been about the downward spiral of humanity, the downward spiral of our world. And we've seen as they disconnected God, as they walked away from God, their world became lost physically. It became lost socially. And with the Tower of Babel, we see all of this come up again. God scatters the people. They're lost physically. And then they're lost socially. All the nations are spread out. They're scattered. But the most terrible thing, the lowest point in this downward spiral, is that they've lost memory of God. They've forgotten what their father looks like. They're lost spiritually. And that's where the whole world is, including Abraham and his family. And then what, what happens? God shows up. It's like the kiosk. <laughs> it's like the register three, you know, over the loudspeaker. God shows up and he says, I'll be your father and you'll be my son. And he makes a promise and he offers Abraham a new home, a new life, a new future, a new place to belong with him. This is really a story of adoption. It's God coming to Abraham and saying, I'll adopt you into my family. And Abraham has a place to belong. Faith, trust in God, is first and foremostly about being found. It's about being, that's your experience, that's my experience, isn't it? It's not just Abraham's experience, that's our experience of being, God finds us. And why does he find us? He finds us because he wants to, because he loves us. I want you to think about this. Often you think about Abraham and you think father of the faith. You know, actually many religions look to Abraham as father of the faith. And you might think, oh, you know, perfect guy, walked with God, obedient, perfect Jew, all that. Why, why, did, why did God choose Abraham? Well, not because he's a good Jew. There's no such thing as Judaism. The whole world is pagan. That's where we're at. 
Not because Abraham walked with God. The text doesn't tell us that. told us that about Noah. It doesn't tell us about Abraham. God chose Abraham sheerly out of his own grace, his own love. He just rescues him. He adopts him out of his sheer grace. And so Abraham's story is a story of grace. Abraham doesn't earn his place. God gives him a place to belong in God's family. It's by God's grace that Abraham's story begins. It's by God's grace that our story as Christians begin. And when you become a part of God's family, what's amazing to me as well, and this is a reason it makes life worth living, you have a place to belong because you find you're a part of the biggest story than just yourself. It's not just you and the world happening around you. I, I was, um, you can imagine my fear and trepidation writing a sermon on this text when I picked up a few commentaries this week and they all said Genesis chapter 12 is the most significant chapter in the whole of Genesis. I thought, oh, thanks. <laughs> but also, oh, thanks. Because what's happening in Genesis chapter 12 is you've got Genesis chapter 11 in this downward spiral of human existence and then God gives the world an answer. He gives the world a blueprint to the new and better world that he's making. And, and Abraham becomes a part of this bigger story, this bigger narrative that God is doing. And just like Abraham becomes a part of a bigger narrative and God uses him in a bigger narrative, when we trust God, we too become a part of a bigger narrative. We become a part of what God's up to in our world today. And that's why faith makes life worth living. Because you, can, you become a part of something bigger than yourself. You find where you belong. You have a sense of meaning and purpose. You know where you fit in. So faith makes life worth living because you know where you belong. Secondly, faith makes life worth living because you know where you're really going. You know where you're really going. What's immediately obvious about this text is that Abraham doesn't know where he's going. Uh, it's quite incredible to think about what God's call to Abraham means. Let's have a look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country. By the way, I'll call him Abraham and Abraham, Abraham, and Abram at different points. Abraham is a name that God gives God. Abram means father. Abraham means father of many. And so I just, I'll call him Abram one second and Abraham the next. Same person, all right? Following? Good. Okay, cool. It's quite incredible to think about what God's call to Abraham meant. The first thing is that it means leaving. 12 verse 1, the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. It's quite important to consider what that means. Country is everything that's familiar to you. In fact, maybe where you get a sense of your identity from. It's your sense of place. Your people or your family, your people, is, again, your identity, but it's also your family. It's those around you that you love and that you know. And then your father's household, I think that's actually got to do with your inheritance. 
It's what, what's coming to you, you know? And so Abraham leaves his, is called to leave his identity, his family, his security, his safety, his home. But secondly, it's also about, this call is also about going. God says to him, and go to the land I will show you. That's the end of verse 1 there. Abraham's called to go to the unknown. It's as if God is saying, I'll show you when we get there. <laughs> Where are we going? I'll show you when we get there. But I don't know. When we get there, I'll show you. And so Abraham's, God calls him into the unknown. What would inspire you to do that? What would inspire you to obey, to leave everything that you have? Everything that makes you what you are. And to choose instead of that the unknown. What would make you do that? I think the answer is, Abraham knows his ultimate destination. He knows where he's really going. Listen to the promises. God promised to him, land, the end of verse 1, the land I'll show you. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. This is the famous threefold blessing to Abraham. Land, nation, divine blessing. And the author assumes if we've got this far in Genesis, we know what he's talking about. Uh, I've got to admit I didn't. I've been struggling with this for weeks as I've been working through the scripture books <laughs> at teaching SRE. I'm like, where's this headed? What does land, nation, and blessing mean? In one sense, they are a summary of God's answer for the world. Put simply, land is something physical, nation is something social, divine blessing is something spiritual. This is about God renewing the world into what He intended it to be. These are three dimensions that have been lost since the fall. This is God redeeming His world. The biblical picture of the future the people of faith have for them is not a thin, boring heavenscape with clouds and angels and elevator music. Bad elevator harp music. You know what I'm talking about? I had a friend who gave up on Christianity. He gave up on Christianity precisely because of this point because he was told that the, the future that Christianity holds out for him is a place of rest in the sense of that kind of fluffy cloud place with a spirit body that, where I don't do anything. And he said, but I like what I do. I like my work. I want to create. I want to help people. I want to do stuff with my life. I feel like I'm created for that. And, and then I've just got to go to heaven where I just stop. How boring. We cut ourselves and others short. We sell ourselves short of what Christianity is about if that's the picture that we paint. Because according to the promises of Abraham, the ultimate future is much different to that. It's, it's a new and better world. A, a world where heaven and earth are together. It's a world of God's blessing, not where there's been a curse. This is a bright future. Where, a future where humanity has a home with God. And so Abraham's obedience might seem incredible. In fact, it might seem stupid if you consider what he has to give up. But if you think about what the future holds out for him, ultimately, 
a new and better world with God, then I think it makes sense. This is what Hebrews, book in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 to 10 tells us. I'll read it to you. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did his sons Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of, with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham could up and go at great cost to himself because ultimately he knew he was heading towards the city of the Lord. That's our life too, is it not? That's the Christian life as well. Faith makes life worth living because it gives us the best future imaginable, the best future possible. If you can give me a better picture of the future world than what the Bible offers me, I'll take it. It's a future with foundations. That's what Hebrew says. It's real. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, it's as if this world we're living in right now is a mist in comparison to the future world we'll inherit with God. How can you trust that future? How do you trust God for that future? I love that it says, God is the architect and builder of that future city. Um, this is, I was this week traveling through Willoughby, driving along, and as you often do in Willoughby, I saw one of those big utes that's a renovating ute, you know, goes to people's houses and renovates them. That's the name for it. And, um, and it had on the side the logo of the, you know, the renovation company. I think it was something like Fin Build or something. Maybe you know. Um, F-I-N, Build. And it, the tagline was, um, you know, one phone call and the job's completed, beginning to end, done. And I just thought, that's great. That's a great ad because stereotypically what a builder's known for, and I'm sorry if you're here because you're probably not one of these kind of builders, but stereotypically known for notoriously not turning up on time, not finishing on time, and not leaving the place looking as you hoped, you know, not finishing it properly. And I thought, that's a great ad, you know, that's what I want my builder to do. God is trustworthy. That's why we can trust him with his future. This city's builder and architect is God, and he's a part of the FinBuild group. <laughs> he invented the FinBuild group. He'll get it done. By definition, he is the FinBuild group. I wonder what you've had to give up for the Christian, for, for your faith, for trusting in God. I wonder what you've had to leave to gain God. Those costs, identity, security, comfort. It's interesting to me that all of the things that Abraham... God, God doesn't ask Abraham to leave anything that God's not going to give him more of in the future, the ultimate future. I love what the missionary and martyr, Jim Elliott, a missionary in Ecuador, um, wrote in his diary a few years into the mission. He wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God doesn't ask us to give up anything he won't give us more of in the future. So faith makes life worth living because it gives you 
somewhere to belong. Faith makes life worth living because there's, there's, a, there's a real future. You know where you're going. A really good future. And finally, faith makes life worth living because you know somebody's with you always. One of the things that strikes me about the story of Abram after his call, verses 8 to 9, is that to me he just seems like a grey nomad. Uh, which I think is great, by the way. But he, he, he's, just, he's 75 years old. He, he, he packs up his family into a caravan and all his possessions, and he heads off. And he just wanders the land. And I just think that's a, a beautiful life, a beautiful transient life. A bit confusing, because it just seems like a bit of sightseeing at first glance. It's the promised land. He finds himself in Canaan, the promised land. But it's not the promised time yet, is it? The Canaanites are still in the, the land. Uh, so what does Abraham do? Well, he, it, it says, at different points there, it says he builds altars. He pitches his tent, but he builds altars, and he calls on the name of the Lord. In other words, he, he, he worships God. He knows God. I think that's what it's about there. He has a relationship with God. You know, Christianity is not just knowing you're a part of God's family, and it's not just knowing there's a better future, but it's actually enjoying God with us now. That's what it's about, and I, that's what he's doing. There's a beautiful contrast between the idea of Abraham pitching his own tent and building an altar to God. Pitching a tent is very temporary, isn't it? Especially if you pitch it the way I pitch it. Building something is concrete. It stays there long after you've gone. You might ask the question this morning, how do you know if you're living by faith? I think the answer is something like, well, when you leave a place, what's still there? Is it, do people look where you've been and they see where you've been? Or do they look where you've been and they see where God's been? You know, are you leaving a legacy for yourself? Or are you leaving a, a legacy for God? What does the stuff you're going to leave behind point to? Does it point to you or does it point to God? What are you focusing your efforts on? The Christian life can look a lot like wandering and waiting, but it should also look like worship. You know, there should be physical things, there should be tangible things that follow our life, that point to God. I love how this passage starts with a call to Abraham and it finishes with Abraham calling on the name of the Lord. Abraham is experiencing this special relationship and it points to a special relationship that God will make in a covenant with Abraham and with Abraham's people for the purpose of blessing the whole world. That's what it says there at the end of those promises. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, the end of verse 3. How... Is that blessing fulfilled? You know, how, does, how do we know God and then how is the world saved by God? Well, ultimately, it's through Abraham's descendants, through one 
of Abraham's descendants, through God's own son, Jesus, who reveals God to us. We know what the Father looks like. And he will also save us. He'll bring us into a new and better future. And by his spirit, Jesus is with us now. And that makes life worth living. You might be asking this morning, well, how do I get on board with that? How do I get into that? You call on the name of the Lord. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Faith, knowing him, knowing Jesus makes life worth living. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when our world was lost, you found it. We thank you when we didn't know you, you made yourself known. And we thank you that when our world was going down the gurgler, you saved it. And we thank you that today we can trust in you and we can experience being a part of your family and what you're up to in the world. We can know that there is a better future coming and live for it. And we can know you in our lives today personally. We thank you for the blessing, the privilege, the gift of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. Please stand.